Hey, it's Bernsey. And I'm Paul. And this is the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast, a podcast where we re-watch Star Trek The Next Generation, except for when we take side treks, which is what we're doing right now, discussing the last episode of Lower Decks. Yeah, this week we're going to be talking about episode 10 of Lower Decks, No Small Parts. Which is a good... Do you think they're talking about... What do you, what do you think they're talking about there, Paul? Who's playing those parts? Yeah, I was wondering that. Well, maybe... Maybe we'll figure it out because we are smart. <laughs> we can make this podcast go. Okay, coming back in three, two, one. Um, so the this starts, you know, in a very typical Star Trek fashion, where we are mid mission. Uh, the mission that they are on made me made me laugh out loud, and I immediately thought of you and your Star Trek TOS podcast uh, because this is a big callback to the original series. Yeah, we can't stop talking about Landry. Um <laughs> Not very effective, though. For I mean, I mean, Land, he, he, it's, it's a great comedic pull, right? Lander is funny, and it is one of those those villains from TOS that is um, iconic, like cemented in the 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 sort of TOS lore. Um, but in terms of like Landry's like capabilities, it was not much. Oh yeah, <laughs> so going yeah. back and watching that episode, the old one. So yeah. Anyway, well, I just love the fact that it's like you know. This is a problem that was sought. Like, I think I think the comedy works for two levels for me personally, because obviously, like, it's just funny to bring up cheesy oh, episodes sure, sure. of TOS, um, you know, and, and to point out how lame Landrew is. But also, like, I love the fact that they're taking a dig at just like the Star Trek mindset in general, which is like, well, we solved all of that planet's yeah, problems in a 45 minute runtime. Solve that planet forever. Yep. Yeah. Well, they yeah, they walk away. And yeah, they're, yeah, they're basically like, you know what? I mean, they, they won't ever listen to Landrew again like this. This is clearly over. And, you know, <laughs> wouldn't you know it? You turn your back. Everybody starts purging again <laughs> and they're listening to Landrew. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. You, you mentioned it, but I'll take a, a minute to, to plug our podcast, uh, the three to beam up where we talk about all the old TOS. We, we talked about that episode with Landrew very, very early on. Um, that might have been like that. I don't know, the first 10, maybe first 20. Nice. And um, yeah, it's a weird one. But uh, yeah, listen to that that specific podcast to hear more about Landrew and how, <laughs> how my, my Return favorite... of the Archons is... Now, I, I had been searching for that title. Return of the Archons is the episode. Ah, um, yes. And it's a weird one. It's a very weird one, so... I just love how, um, as they're walking away, away from Landrew once again, um, talking about how, like, no, we're not going to do the Red Hour. And the one guy's like, oh, but I just bought a new scythe. And they have the, the Federation uh, sticker on there that says, do not obey. Um, <laughs> and and also, while they're on the planet. So so basically, the, the bridge crew beams back up. But uh, they're trying to figure out where Boimler and uh, Mariner are. And Mariner's basically like, what are they handing out to the kids? Um, Let's just hand out craft supplies. 
Yeah, yeah. And so that's that's where we have the reveal that um that Boimler knows Mariner's secret and he knows that she's the captain's daughter, which you know is is a big deal because also like as soon as that's revealed, they get beamed up because they're basically truant, right? Like mm-hmm, they're just mm-hmm. they're not on the ship when they're supposed to be. They get beamed to the bridge and in the middle of him taunting uh Mariner, Boimler blurts it out in front of the entire bridge crew, so that means not only does he reveal it to to Mariner, but he also reveals it to Captain Freeman, uh, which is the thing that he was terrified of in the last episode. So yep. Boimler can't keep a secret. I also, oh, I think somewhere in there too, after the bridge crew comes back, don't th- there's officially now the term TOS is <laughs> yep. canon now, right? Um, it's Ransom is talking to Freeman and he says, <laughs> uh, I, what is his exact line? He says, like, uh, I love going back to those old, like, TOS. Uh... Oh, here it is. Yeah, it's it's always weird revisiting planets from the TOS era. And Mer- and uh, Freeman says, TOS. And Ransom says, it's what I call the 2260s. Dance for those old scientists. <laughs> <laughs> so officially, uh, if you refer to anything from the original series as TOS, uh, TOS also makes sense to people in the late 24th century just maybe a slightly different acronym. So. I will I will also say I love that uh and I'm, then I think that kind of wraps the ransom uh Freeman bit but while they're down on the planet um it might be right after but they're looking at the mission logs from uh Return of the Archons essentially and they have pictures of Kirk and Spock and they used the Kirk and Spock from the animated series which oh, I God, thought I forgot was about that. phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. They're like, this is the animated universe of it. And they had animated, they didn't like redraw them. They used the animated series. Yeah. So that, man, I'm glad you brought that up. I I had completely forgot about that. (laughs) You know, we, we flash forward a little bit and Boimler and Mariner get beamed up. And I believe he's in the middle of asking if uh if captain freeman gives mariner sweet widow captain kisses <laughs> yeah. um and and then the entire conversation is overheard by the bridge crew um and then we don't really have a lot of time to dwell on that because then we get kind of catapulted into um the mystery that's that's going on so basically um there are several ships that are in, are in trouble right because there's the solvang there's the rubido and the Cerritos is going to check it out, right? Well, so the Rubido is the old um, ship of this captain, right? Who now has a new ship, the uh, Solvang. Okay, there you go. That's yes. the spin on it, yep. That's right, that's right. Because right. we've, so Solvang... we've seen this captain lose a ship before in um, the one where the energy creature takes... Is that That's much to do about Boimler, I think, right? Yeah. Okay. So we actually, that's okay. That's really funny. I did. I had not made this connection that captain Dayton was, yeah, you're right. That's uh it was another, it was another California class ship. Yep. So the implication there too, is that they're just cranking out these <laughs> California just, class ships. They got Californias everywhere. Destroy yep. one. We'll get you a new one. <laughs> and they make kind of a new ship joke with that too, oh, where yeah, uh, everybody's in their socks. Yeah, everybody's in their socks, and then the little protective peel on the uh, on the controls on the captain's chair, like on the buttons there, is starting to peel back, and the captain is like, Captain Dayton is just super peeved like, about who, that. Who pulled at this? <laughs> I want to try to keep this ship as new as possible, and then that's when they pan back, and everybody's you know 
in their <laughs> in their socks. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then enter Packleds. Yeah, I was not expecting in a million years that we would get the Packleds to show up um, because. Okay, okay, I'll toss you one. Yeah. Were you more surprised to see the Packleds or an Exocomp? Uh, you know, once the Packleds arrived, the Exocomp didn't surprise me either. <laughs> okay. But if I had to pick which one I would be more surprised by, it would probably be the Packleds, just okay. because they're um, both one-offs. Uh, well, they're they're technically not though, and here's what's weird: um, the Packleds were only featured in a single episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation. However, in certain episodes of Deep Space Nine, you can see Packleds wandering around in the background. Hmm. Um, so there, the implication is that they're, they're part of, um, you know, the universe, but, uh, basically let's see here. Uh, they frequented quarks DS nine episode Melora, which is, uh, I think that's the episode with the person. Yeah. She comes to the station because she can't exist in like regular gravity. And then the doctor helps her and they fall in love apparently in the background of that episode. Uh, there, there are some packlids, but you know, Samaritan Snare is the episode that introduced yeah, yeah, us to yeah. the packlids because that's the, it's the the classic, you know, such a, such a, a really good but weird episode, <laughs> and and that's where we get all of the, you know, we are smart. We we yeah. talked about that one. That is a season two episode. So uh, it is, dear listener, go back and listen to that one. Um, yeah, up, up our numbers. <laughs> I when we recorded that episode. Like, I never in a million years would have predicted that, A, we would see them again in new Trek, but that it would be in an animated comedic Star Trek series. Like, because that was, that's going back a ways. Uh, yeah. Going back a couple of years when we recorded that episode. And obviously the episode was, you know, season two of TNG. So that's 1989. But but in this episode, the, the Packleds are back and they're back with a vengeance because apparently they've been Samaritan snaring their way to the top of the food chain technologically. And they're mad at the Enterprise. And well, and they're mad at any ship. The Enterprise. Exactly. Every ship that happens to have a saucer in his uh, Federation design is the Enterprise. Um, here comes another Enterprise. <laughs> um, oh, man. And they want to just rip it. Over. Like, they're basically, they're mad at the Enterprise, but they also want to steal its technology. So they're basically like a dumb Borg almost. Yeah, I could see that. Like, they kind of want to just, you know, they, they, they don't change anything about themselves, but they want all the technology. Um so, so before we cut back to the Cerritos, um, yeah. the Packlids attack the Solvang, right? Latch out these uh, these arms that grab the uh, one of the warp nacelles, and um, is it Captain? Is it Douglas? Boy, Captain Dayton. Dayton. I need to start with a D. And uh, and Captain Dayton uh, gives the order to go to warp, uh, and the ship basically explodes, right? Right. Um, which is that shot has to be an homage to the destruction of the Kelvin in the uh, opening scene of the uh, Star Trek reboot into the Kelvin universe, right? Oh yeah, where yeah. the um, the ship, the Romulan mining ship, which is a huge ship that just looks very weird, right? Is the, the cinematography of it right is off to one side, and then the other ship is being destroyed, and in uh, Star Trek, right? Then you see the shuttles leaving, but in this one, you just see the debris coming off that ship. It's a mm -hmm. beautiful shot, um, and it even has they kind of film it, well, film it, render it with uh, the sun behind them, the same way as in that scene in uh, in Star Trek. Uh, what is that? What do we call that? Star Trek the reboot. 
um, which I thought was just such a good shot to have in there. Yep. Yeah, I guess, is it Star Trek 2009? Is that Yeah, that's what right? I almost said. And I was like, is yeah. 2009 right? But yeah. Yeah, that's the problem with like having reboot stuff be tied to a year is that as you get further from that year, it gets harder to remember. <laughs> but yeah. I had to, I did have to go back. I was like, man, what is the name of that ship in the Calvin universe? And I was like, oh, wait, it's the Calvin. It's the Calvin. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yep, exactly. So. That was a, that's a good poll. I did not realize <clears throat> I, I, I didn't see it. But now that you kind of describe it now, I totally I, I didn't it. side to side it, but I would love to side to side those two shots. But mm-hmm. um yeah, the destruction of the solving, that shot is a... They're just putting together beautiful stuff on screen. Do we think third time's the charm for Captain Dayton? Do we think she'll get another California-class ship? <laughs> uh, I do believe that no one made it off the solving, so... Oh, that's right. That's right. Oh, rip. Well, now I feel bad. Sorry, Captain Dayton. Man, that crew got a bad draw. Yeah, you know, just... they sure did. <laughs> so when we do get back to uh the cerritos uh tendy is super stoked uh that she gets to be the person who is the orientation liaison for a new crew member which happens to be an exocomp as you as you pointed out before so yeah like two back-to-back really good tng pulls right like the is that the, a, is that a season seven that feels like a season seven I, th- I want to say it's season six. Okay. Um, it's the one with the particle fountain. Um, if you <laughs> yeah. give me a minute, I'm trying to remember which which one it is. Um, now I might have to look it up, but it's it's the quality of life, uh, I believe, is is yeah, the... quality of life. That is it. Yep. So it's uh, the ninth episode of the sixth season. Haha, I was right. Season six. So yeah, basically, the, you know, the exocomp started life as like these smart tools, essentially, that were were designed by. Um, you know, a scientist and, and the classic next generation mistake is, well, I'll just, you know, well, the classic science fiction mistake really is like, well, I'll just have this machine teach itself how to learn what could possibly go wrong. Um, and the exocomps, you know, basically become sentient. Um, apparently much more sentient now, um, because, you know, in, in that episode, the exocomps were just basically becoming alive. And in this episode, Peanut Hamper, which is <laughs> Yep. A name that this exocomp chose for itself um, is now, you know, floating around, talking with the rest of the crew, just having casual chats and uh, kind of masters a whole bunch of stuff, too. Like we we get kind of this pretty quick homage or not homage, but this this pretty quick, you know, rapid fire series of events where, where we have, you know, peanut hamper just perfectly fitting in um, with the cat doctor. Right. Yeah. Like, in uh, Med Bay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and basically so much that it was like, I, I haven't seen sutures this great ever. You know, like it's peanut hamper as an instant surgeon um, without apparently ever having trained for it. So I think that was kind of interesting to have like maybe even a little bit of jealousy from Tendi, right? Because Tendi's kind of the overachiever and, as well. Yep, and she plays it both ways, right? She seems jealous at first and then that patient asks her and she's like, well, but I'm also proud, right? <laughs> that like yeah. she's proud that her, um, this, this, mentee essentially is getting along so well um yep. but yeah it's it's an interesting it's an interesting plot that they're able to run with in very little time in this episode um i mean to jump ahead to the next part of it like almost they, they play this like the reason they brought an exocomp back is because it is specifically designed to do the task at hand that needs to be done 
And then the extra cop says, nah, I don't want, I don't feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, which is very much in keeping with the episode. Um, the original one in TNG, because the exocomps kept trying to get out of danger, right? If I remember the episode right. Yeah. So essentially, um, <laughs> yeah, in that episode, the the exocomps were showing signs of self-preservation. So whenever they were put into dangerous jobs, um, they would just refuse to do the task. Um, and the solution in that episode was they basically had to ask the exocomps, <laughs> hey, are you cool with this? Um, and in, in that episode of TNG, the original episode where we get, you know, the exocomps um, first shown on screen, um, they come up with a new, more innovative approach where less of them are in danger. Um, I think ultimately one of the exocomps yeah, dies. Die, yeah. Yeah, um, but it stayed behind to like finish the job and let the other two get out. But in this one, I just like that Peanut Hamper's like, nope, see ya. I don't, <laughs> I don't feel like doing that. Yep. Um, which is more towards the end of the episode. Yeah, but yeah. So, I mean, this there's a lot of jumping around in this episode. There's a lot of different things happening. This is a busy episode. Well, I think the next, I, I, well, not even next in the episode, but the other thing that is going on, right, is the thing we already talked about is that Mariner is now known to the crew as Freeman's daughter. And so yep. everybody keeps coming around. Uh, Billups comes by with a whole bunch of replicated hand pies. I thought was <laughs> <laughs> like so good. Um, like no joke that exact day that I watched the episode, um, which was <clears throat> a while after it had been, you know, available on streaming. But um, <laughs> that morning, somebody in my Facebook like feed had made hand pies as a COVID project. Mm -mm. And then I watched this episode and Billups is bringing hand pies. And I'm like, that's the thing you do, I guess, you know. I, uh, I do love that they put Billups in, in that they're not, they're not overusing anybody really. Um, but so that said, I don't want like just nonstop Billups, but boy, I'd love to see like 20% more Billups. <laughs> and I don't, I don't think we've even talked about, I mean, Paul Shearer, um, I don't think we've said his name, but Paul Shearer does excellent work as Billups here. In, in, yeah. across all 12, 10 episodes well and i think that's the scenario that lower decks is in is that they have you know they have this solid squad of of you know lower decks folks in the main you know cast members that we're familiar with but they have so like you know so much good in this supporting cast of like the senior yep. team yep. you know basically um so yeah, I mean the senior officers, whenever they're there, they're also great. So it's oh, like yeah, there's yeah, not yeah. there's not a really weak link in this show. So because I mean they also have so much talent uh, assigned to that too. Because I mean you know Jack Ransom is great because yep. there's there's even that scene where they're talking to Ransom, <laughs> yep. uh, and he's like working out while they're while they're talking to him, which yep. I thought was great. Um, yeah, he, he basically like doesn't he make mention of the fact is like well i need to put more iron before i can solve yep. this problem like, yep just the classic meat-headed you know first officer of the ship which yeah and, and this is the plot that is um mariner decides to apply for the promotion to the sacramento that boimler was looking at because if she goes to the sacramento no one will know her there um yeah and that's a way out so she starts doing things um by the books um I think it's a scene before that too. Um, one other really good interaction in the hallway with, um, I don't know, he says his name, but I don't, I didn't write down the name, but there's another um, 
crewman that comes up and says like, oh, hey, do you remember me? And she says, uh, yeah, we went on a date or something. Uh, do you remember this conversation? Um, oh, his name is Steve. Yeah, okay. Yep. And uh, she says, uh, yeah, Steve, I remember you said Wolf 359 was an inside job, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and he like immediately doubles down. He's like, it was. <laughs> oh yeah, as he's leaving, he says, uh, "You're the best, thanks, Mariner." Changelings aren't real. The Dominion War didn't happen. <laughs> um, and and just they do have a lot of fun with um with Boimler and Mariner and Mariner basically like having to come to grips with suddenly everyone knowing that she's the the captain's daughter because, um. I, I did like where her and Boimler are having that conversation about getting promoted to the Sacramento because Boimler's mortified, right? Because what does he want more than anything else in the world is to, to get promoted, right? He does not want to be an ensign. He, he, he's, he's basically like a neurotic Riker, right? You know, that, that he wants to fast track everything. He wants to be all the way up. He wants to be captain. Um, and, you know, Boimler basically starts giving Mariner a little bit of crap here, too, where he's like, listen, nobody's going to promote you because of your record. And this is where she like immediately, like literally in front of our eyes, straightens up. Right. Like yep. she rolls down, rolls down, down her sleeves. Yep. She puts her hair up in a bun. You know, <laughs> she she does the like, oh, OK, this is this is how I play Starfleet. Got it. Um, and, and Boimler starts to sweat a little bit, I think, because he's, you know, he's worried about. I, th- I think he's less worried about losing a friend and more worried about missing out on a chance for a promotion. So there's some good tension there too. Yep. Yeah. I thought the Marino Boimler conflict was really good here because we've seen bits of that here and there throughout the episodes, but this is a, this is a good arc. Yep. Yep. And then, you know, the Cerritos basically gets called to check out what happened um, with, uh, with the solving um, because, you know, they basically like, I think they get a distress call or, or something from, you know, cause the solving went to go check out what was going on and they got, you know, attacked immediately by the pack leads. And I, I think, doesn't the captain make some offhand remark, uh, kind of like a dig, um, at the captain of the solving at, uh, doesn't she say something about the fact that like captain Dayton is probably like crying wolf or something like, yeah, like remember. accidentally hit the button or something. Yep. Yeah. So they warp into this situation and they're really not like prepared for anything. And something that I think really does give credence to your um, your kind of homage to the Kelvin verse. Another scene that probably could maybe uh, feel like it was an homage to the to the Star Trek 2009 was when they warp in, like they're basically suddenly in the debris field of the Solvang. Right. It kind yep. of very much looks yep. like the Enterprise warping in to, you know, the debris of the Star Starfleet fleet. Uh, in orbit of Vulcan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they're basically right away dodging debris. They've got the collision alert. Um, and they also, you know, are, are basically... Get caught in the tractor beam. Right away. Gotta watch yep. out for those tractor beams. Yep. So, um, yeah, at this point, <laughs> they... Um, they're, in, they're in a big big trouble here. They realize what, you know, the pack lids are doing. And then... Um, I'm trying to remember exactly what happens next. The Packlids basically start trying to cut the Cerritos apart, you know, yep. right so they away. they pull it in, right? So um, they they pull it towards them and then start beaming in. And they have a, a line, Ransom yells a line that, because intruders start beaming in, you see the beam effect. Yeah. But it's like lingering. Uh, and he says, intruders beaming in, very slowly beaming in. <laughs> That's right. Um, it's like they don't have great teleporters, I guess. 
Yeah. Um, but then it, it goes right to, you know, fighting across the, the hallways of the ship. Um, Freeman gets hurt. Um, Mariner kind of opens up all these panels to have all this contraband. Um, did you catch or, or did you see on uh, Memory Alpha? I did not. I mean, I, I saw it on Memory Alpha is how I would make this this deep pull. Uh, but have you seen the box for that official Star Trek helmet on uh, Memory Alpha? Oh, no. Uh-uh. Uh, scroll to, to background information. Oh, yeah. Okay. Official Star Trek helmet. Here we go. <laughs> so um, on a rewatch, I did notice that is very much what Billups pulls from the pile <laughs> of things that Mariner has pulled out of the walls. <laughs> I don't. It doesn't say Spock on it, but uh, <laughs> it's that. Like It's unquestionably that. It's 100%. Yeah, that's, oh man, that's so good. <clears throat> well, and I just love, I mean, I loved the, uh, that Mariner taking charge of the situation is her just sharing all of her contraband that she has strewn completely across the ship. Yep. But God, I, w- I wish I had seen that, uh, that Star Trek helmet. <laughs> that's, that's really great. Yep. Uh, and he doesn't put it on. He doesn't use it. So it's like a, it's like a one second gag, um, <laughs> background gag, but <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. Um, and so, you know, basically they, they come up with a plan of attack um, to, to deal with uh, pushing back um, the pack leads. And it has to, it's, they're basically going to Independence Day this thing, right? Like, yeah, more or less. They need to take a virus to the ship to, to implant it in their computer. Um, and it is, it is a good plan, right? They, they make the call that, I forget if it's Mariner or Boimler. I think it might be Mariner. That for them to have all these different chip parts and all these different systems, they have to be running some sort of operating system that is like incredibly open um, to just be able to interface with all these things. Yeah. Um, and so that's a pretty big Achilles heel. Well, and and what I also like about this is that's another, I mean, it's not a direct callback, but it's, it's further reinforcement of the idea that like, you know, th- across the universe of Star Trek and all the different, peoples and and all the different you know technologies um you know you can't just slap those together and make them work which was a really good plot point a lot of times in star trek deep space nine mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. because you know that was basically chief o'brien's life was him trying to manage a station which was built by the cardassians uh you know now in possession of the bajoran government uh and staffed by starfleet personnel and so he constantly had to like there were references to somehow chief o'brien is the only person who can make all of this stuff talk to each other and it's just you know he's just patching stuff together and and just he has it all cobbled together and it works great but if he leaves on vacation it's just like how the hell does he keep this running well i i love that kind of you know further reinforcing the idea of like yeah if you slap all that stuff together it's it's tough to keep it going and it's also very consistent with the packlids right that the packlids have a plan it's get ships put ships together yep and now we have big ship but they're not like sysamins right they're not like gonna write the best code to network interface all these ships and like put up a firewall um they're not going to build a computer system that is good they're going to say make it work and they're going to put out like sloppy code or get someone like capture an O'Brien or something and say, make these ships work. Um, and they're going to do a quick job of it. So it's not that outrageous to be like, yeah, this computer system would be a, a, a pretty big opening. And and the virus that they choose is basically badgy. <laughs> so last time, so this, yeah, man. So last episode that had badgy in it, um, I lamented that 
that was too much badgy. Um, which I still stand by. Sure. I think this is the right amount of badgy, right? Right. Yeah. He's just <laughs> he's there. He's kind of in the background. Uh he does his thing. He does his he's, thing. Yeah. He's still a murderous combadge personified. Um, but yeah, he doesn't he doesn't take center stage. So they, we've also, they fixed that problem. Too. We've also missed Rutherford uh like finds a different setting on his, his uh implant that changes his personality essentially, right? From normal like optimistic to all different sorts of things oh yeah 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 and so right. the whole episode he's like trying to cycle through that to get back to normal um, through this <laughs> long list uh, as he's as he's going through all those but well and it's appropriate that you bring this up because a lot of actually important stuff happens in the conclusion of this episode oh, one of sure. them has to has to deal with you know uh rutherford and, and his implant but uh you know before we get there um you know, basically this this plan to deliver this virus. I think this was where um, we were going to plan on having, you know, Peanut Hamper, the, uh, the Exocomp, yeah, yeah. deliver that. And then Peanut Hamper nopes out of here. So backup plan is Rutherford getting courageous. Rutherford having his hero moment and saying, like, you know what? I can do this. Um, you know, I'm, I'm half computer, right? So just upload it to me. And then, you know, Shax, of course, never one to turn down a fight is you know enthusiastic about being the person to go with him uh and and deal with the backlids so yep. they they jump into a shuttlecraft and and off they go um which is a pairing that i you know i i knew that it was going to be good because we had that taste of it at the very beginning of uh yeah, of lower decks second when, episode maybe? yeah when rutherford was trying out different jobs and stuff yep, and yep. that's when he first referred to him as baby bear yep. <laughs> um but yeah, I was I was not prepared for where that was going to go. Yeah. It um you know, Shax gets his heroic last stand, right? Yeah, like they R.I.P. Shax. Yeah, I, I just and so here's the thing that I just absolutely, you know, this this episode is really, really good. Like I said, it's it's busy because there's a lot of stuff going on. You know, you got all the all the stuff with with Mariner and and her mom and and you know you've got the main plot of you know the rescue mission and the Pacla's doing their thing but like the emotional payoffs towards the end of this episode are like there's just a lot of stuff that happens and it's it's some of it's triumphant some of it's really sad some of it's you're you're really worried but like you know basically Shax and Rutherford are, are fighting you know hand to hand there and, and holding off the pack lead so that the virus can be uploaded. And then, um, you know, Shaxx makes that last stand. So Rutherford can get out of there, but, but Rutherford has to be maimed in order for this to, to work. Right. Because the virus is still in Rutherford's cybernetic implants. So he can't leave. So Shaxx like rips off his cybernetic yeah, implant yeah. and then, you know, gets him out of the ship so he can be safe. Um, and then Shaxx basically blows up with the ship. Right. Yep. Yeah, man, it's a good scene. Yeah, they're yeah, writing it's, good stuff, and yeah, yeah. I wasn't I wasn't prepared for like how much that was going to dramatically hit all the right things, right? Like that. Um, I feel like if that was in uh, a dramatic Star Trek episode, uh, you know, from a dramatic series, like it, it would it would have the same impact. Like I was, I I think I said out loud, it's like they did not kill Shax. Um, yeah, know? I mean, it, it's one of those where like they don't there aren't many series where they kill off in a whole series that they kill off a, a main crew member, right? Tasha Yar uh, would come to mind. 
um, I mean, spoilers. Um, yep. <laughs> I mean, other I mean, there are others like Deep Space Nine has a big one that maybe I will not say because of spoilers. Um, sure. And is much later, right? Tashiar is very, very early. Um, yep. But there's not many of those, right? Like Voyager. I guess there's some of them a key crew who, but not the main. It's not like. Yeah, and even in Voyager, Paris. like we say goodbye to Kess, but like yeah. she's not dead, you yeah. know. She's like, and she so. wasn't. Uh, I mean, she wasn't Starfleet. I guess. I mean, that that is a good poll. That would be the Voyager one, I guess. But yeah, but so we have that, and then you know we're we're still like we think we're we're good because the pack led ship has blown up but then all of a sudden oh no here come more pack led ships mm-hmm. um and and you know the cerritos is in bad shape because they basically start getting pulled apart right like the cerritos loses a a, a nacelle as well mm-hmm. um because these multiple ships start you know pulling and then and um here comes the titan here comes the Titan. Like, and, and there was a reference. We've heard a reference to the Titan a couple of times in um, um, terminal provocations. Yeah. Uh, what's yep. his name? Feldman. What was his name? I didn't like that character either. Um, yeah. He got promoted to the Titan. Yeah. And Fletcher. Um, Fletcher. Fletcher. There it is. And then in the beginning of this episode, I believe like the Titan is also in that sector and could have responded yeah, to this distress call. That's right. As she says, when they get the call from Dayton, Ransom says uh, the Titan's also in range. And um, Freeman says something along the lines like, eh, it's probably nothing. We'll check it out. Yeah, exactly. And, and here comes, you know, Captain William T. Riker uh, and Deanna Troy, who I believe is at this point, I think she's his first officer. Like yep. she, it looks like she's, it. Yeah. So, um, and, and what is so great about this and why this is so huge, um, there was basically like much cheering across the entire internet, uh, when this scene happened for multiple reasons, because one is the return of, of Will Riker and Deanna Troy, which, you know, is great. Um, but two, this is the canon appearance of the USS Titan and the design of the USS Titan as seen in this show matches non-canon sources that have been like basically there have been books written about you know will riker and the titan and but all that stuff is like beta canon or less but this design that they put in this show is the exact same design that they have used in those other places Hmm. so it's basically like it's bringing the uss titan as shown here on screen up to you know a-level canon, right? Like, this is now, this is the Titan. This is what the Titan looks like. If they were going to put it in any other shows, this is this is it. Which I thought was really cool, too. It was a really nice nod to um, to all those, those fan sources. Especially as somebody who is a big fan of the Star Wars Extended Universe. And sort of, like, mm. the opposite mm. has been happening sure. with that, you know? Like, it's nice to see Extended Universe sources pulled and, like, kind of elevated a little bit. So I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah, as someone who could look over at my pile of non-canon Star Wars books, uh, yes. <laughs> Point taken. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, just imagine any of, like, some of your favorite points of, of those novels just suddenly being like, yes, no, this is, like, you know, continuing some of those storylines. Yes, in, yes. You know, it's a, a cool new television show. show. It's a cool It is. Show. Yep. The I believe it's a Luna class. If you I are remember. correct, yeah, ha ha, <laughs> I still got it. Um, so, yeah, the Titan shows up. It basically makes quick work of of all of those, uh, you know, pack led ships. 
uh, Titan to the rescue. Um, we get a nice exchange between uh, tight uh, be- between Will Riker and uh, Mariner, you know, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and she I love the exchange between the two of them because Mariner's like, oh, yeah, where do you think I got all my contraband? Yep, yep. <laughs> and and Deanna just turns to him and like, we're talking about this mm-hmm. later, which I thought was so great. I love uh, so on memory alpha on the page for um, the Titan. It uh, it talks about t- tactical systems, and it says there is a line. This class was tactically superior to California class starships, um, and so even on memory alpha, they're like, yeah, Californias are not that great. Yep. Well, and and like, Riker yeah. even makes kind of a goof about California class ships. Like, doesn't he say something? Yeah, about, he says like, like oh, the, your California like really held its own for you know something along those lines. Yep. Yep. So, um, and then we basically kind of return to the star base and we have to take care of a couple of things. So we basically have to take care of, um, you know, repairing the ship, healing Rutherford. And then, uh, we have a, a nice funeral for, for shacks, um, which all of those I thought were, were very well handled. And it was like, it was, it was really like, it was at that moment where it's like, okay, I I was pretty sure shacks was dead, but you're still kind of holding out hope. But it's when they have the torpedo with the Federation flag draped over it and the picture on top where I'm like, oh, God, it really did happen, didn't it? They really did. And what I'm curious about now is there. there, So basically two things. This has implications for us for next season. One, the Cerritos is going to look exactly the same because I love (laughs) Captain Freeman making that crack where it's like, I hate when ships go into uh, to dry dock and they come out looking all new and different. (laughs) She even says, I I think they come out looking all sovereign class, which I thought was great uh, because the sovereign class is the enterprise E Uh, is a sovereign class starship. Um, But next season, what we're going to have to figure out is, A, what's, you know, how is Rutherford going to cope with basically no longer being a cyborg, right? Mm Because all of his cybernetic implants were ripped out. And then the big reveal, which I was like, oh, my God, uh, and I'm very curious what what a season two will look like, is uh, Boimler gets promoted off of the ship to To the the Titan. Titan. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) So, so Boimler is officially, uh, you know, now serving aboard the USS Titan. And I love that, you know, somehow they've got um, first contact era Starfleet uniforms, uh, which is something that that uh, just jumped out at me, too. Like um, the Starfleet uniforms that Riker and Troy are wearing on the bridge um, and that Boimler is wearing and the rest of the crew crewmen are wearing such good uniforms. They really are. Um, and I don't know if you know this, that in and of itself is almost also an homage to star trek online Hmm. um and here's why in in star trek online uh because it's a because it's a video game and because character customization is a huge deal um they've basically like they've hand waved away the fact that like oh why are some people wearing tos uniforms and why are some people wearing like next gen uniforms and basically starfleet adopted a policy of um the the decorum is decided on a per ship or per posting basis. So one star base may have like the TNG era stuff. And then one ship may have, you know, the, the first contact uniforms that we see here. And I almost wonder if they're just going with that too, right? That the idea is that, you know, in the late 24th century, and we, we actually see a little bit of this on screen. I don't know if you remember in Star Trek generations um, on the enterprise, it was actually a mix of, the regular uniforms from the next generation era or the inverted uniforms that like early DS nine and star Trek Voyager used where like, instead of having the, the black bar be on the shoulders 
and whatever division color you are were being the main color of the shirt, um, they inverted those. So everybody was wearing a black jumpsuit with their um, the shoulder bar um, basically being blue for science, yellow for security, or red for command. Huh. Um, but in in generations, there was a mix of both of those. So some people on the Enterprise D were wearing uniforms that you would see like from Deep Space Nine or from Voyager. And some people were wearing just the old TNG stuff. And then it wasn't until we got to First Contact where basically all of Starfleet kind of went that direction. Right? I think it's a I think it's a great way to do it, right? Like it just opens up so much more freedom. And yeah. If they do it that way. And, and they get to animate lots of cool new stuff, right? <laughs> it's harder for the animators, but... Um, right. But it's more fun for the It's fans. more fun for the writers. Yeah, and for the yeah. fans. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then the last scene I think we have is, isn't it uh, peanut hamper? Floating, <laughs> Drifting. It's a stupid exocomp. I hate exocomps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and there's also a reference to Riker and jazz in there when he uh, says like, go to warp. He says, and one, two, three or something. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I definitely watch a Riker series. It, it's an interesting spin of like, like we have a Picard series. Now we have this like question of, well, what is Picard doing next? And um, I mean, Picard is one of my favorite captains, unquestionably. Yeah, me too. But the story of like, what is Picard doing now is um, like kind of just boring, I think, in the way it has been framed. Um, and I think that if there was a Riker series or something like that, like Riker is still out there doing the things that you'd want to be watching. Mm-hmm. Um, it would just essentially be a continuation of TNG, uh, but with Riker, which I right. mean, it would not be that much different. Right. Um, so I don't know. It's an interesting contrast of you, you, you would never get to see a Captain Riker, um, but it would probably feel very TNG to just have even yeah, uh, Riker and Troy and a whole different ship of people would still be very very fun to watch. Well, and, and I'll, I'll say this too. I, I know you haven't watched much. Um, have you watched Picard at all? Star no, Trek Picard? I just read about it and heard about it. So yeah, so I won't I won't spoil too much. Um, but it wouldn't be a big shock to to probably know that at some point Riker shows. Yeah, up, Riker's right? in there. I think I've seen you know yeah. still frames of Riker in that. So yeah, and so w- what's interesting to me as well is that um, because those two series were not that far apart, right? We just had season one of Picard and we, we saw Riker return there. And then we saw Riker return here. And I, I don't think it's at all a surprise that the more celebrated return is here, right? Because it's, it's Riker in, in command of his own ship, you know, showing up to save the day. Um, but just the way that it's handled is, is just, again, it's so much like it's what I kind of keep saying about this show and why I love it so much, even though it's goofy and it's like a, you know, it's, it's a comedic take on the star Trek universe. It still just gets star Trek in a fundamental way. Um, you know, that that's, I still feel like the dramatic series just kind of fail at, you know, right. Like they just don't quite speak the language of Trek and like, this show just it's it's like a constant love letter to the series right and well, it's and you could do dramatic series right like ds9 yeah. is you know is an intense series in many parts um and you know there's a lot of fluff in there too um but you can do these sorts of stories in a trekky way and it doesn't seem like you know like you you said it doesn't seem like the, the some of the the writers of these other series get that so 
Yeah. And, and I, I still think, you know, when it's all said and done, when, you know, I, I, it's very difficult for me to answer, you know, favorite anything, right? Like favorite game, favorite book, sure. favorite, uh, favorite film, favorite TV show. Like I just, I have, because I just like to be open to all kinds of experiences, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, TNG will probably always have a special place in my heart. Cause it's what I grew up with, but that whole like TNG versus DS nine. Like if I had to say like, which series I, I think was the superior series, like I might come down on the side of DS nine because of exactly what you pointed out. Right. Paul, that like, they went dark sometimes in that series, but they never strayed off of the path. It was like, it was dark, but it was dark Trek. And like, I feel like a lot of the newer like Trek stuff, it just kind of goes in these directions where it wants to be that thing, but it forgets to be Trek enough. Yeah. Right. And like, that's what I love about, uh, DS9 DS9 is very much Trek first drama second. And a lot of Mm -hmm. these others are, they're writing a a drama. It's a, you see this in old TOS episodes too, where like, it feels like you just have a writer of the week coming in with a script that they're saying like, yeah, sure. What, what are the characters names? I could make it work. Oh yeah. Um, yep. And well, that's, that's the 2260s, you know, the TOS era, those, yeah, old, those, scientists. those old scientists. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting point that um, Trek also, also has some range across all the series that if, if you have mm-hmm. someone who likes TNG and then it's not, you can't just sit them down and say, oh, you like TNG? Well, you're going to love Voyager. You're going to love DS9. Or you're going to love Original Series or Enterprise or any of these. Um, they all sort of fit into their own spot. And they all kind of own that space, more or less. They're all, Right? I, I think you would agree yeah. with that. And I think that Lower Decks is interesting because it like fits right in that clustering with TNG. It feels like a continuation of TNG. Mm-hmm. Um, and it pulls from those other sources and kind of tries to tie some of these these series together in a way. But like you would not mistake Lower Decks as DS9 or as Enterprise. Uh, it feels like TNG. And yeah. that's not something they've really ever done. They've not like went back into that space explicitly. Uh, and so that'd be really interesting where they kind of keep going with this if they try to branch that out a little bit more. Um, if, right, this is a series that I I feel like they're probably not afraid to take chances and Mm -hmm. say like, you know, say there's a whole season where for some reason they get stranded on Starbase 80, right? (laughs) And it's like a Deep Space Nine, they're in one spot and it's Starbase 80. Like you could probably make that work. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, and it feels like um, I, th- I think you raise a really good point, right? That this is this is the series that's not afraid to take chances, and I feel like they're in the best spot to do it because a it's they can fall back on the fact that it's it's a comedy, so they're goofing off a little bit. But then B, I think you know. I don't think this episode was envisioned as being like the standard bearer for the franchise, right? Like, sure, obviously, you know, like there's a lot of attention being given to discovery because season three is like basically a kind of a reboot of the series just in general. Uh, And then Picard is, you know, the return of, of, you know, Jean-Luc Picard and, and Sir Patrick Stewart to the role. And so, you know, this was just more Trek because, I think CBS realized like, Hey, the only thing people are signing up for all access for is, is Trek. So we need some more Trek, but they somehow pulled together like a really great group of people, um, both, you know, in the voice acting booth and in the animation department and just in the writing room in particular, 
of people who just like yeah man give me a chance to play around in the star trek universe it's on let's yeah, let's do this yeah. yeah these are people um, who love their jobs yeah and and they also you know don't it doesn't feel like they have a lot of constraints placed upon them it feels like they're able to do what they want to do um and and really kind of take stuff and run with it and and it's just to to me it's really like i what i hope happens is i hope that there is someone in charge of managing well i know who it is it's alex kurtzman and that's why it's not going to happen and and i don't want this to devolve into me complaining about alex kurtzman for a while but i promise i'll keep it brief but i think what the lessons to learn from this series are get people who are passionate about this universe and know their stuff and let them do the work right like don't meddle with them don't get in the way don't you know because one of the one of the big issues with uh i think discovery in particular is like if you look at the credits uh i think red letter media pointed this out um basically i think there's like dozens if not more producers or executive producers credited in the opening credit crawl right like that's just too many cooks in the kitchen there's just too many people too many agendas too many consulting producers too like you know this feels like it's a team of of a few creative people you know pulling in a a writing team and they're just like man what do we want to do all right let's do this let's let's spin this up let's get it going um and you know it's the creative process is really a, a delicate balance you've got to have enough people to to bounce ideas around and improve things but you can't have too many people because then if there's too many agendas you can't get a clear distinct vision of, of where yeah, you, you don't get go. these you don't get these tight episodes that you could run in 22 minutes and have so many things happen so yeah. many small jokes right yeah um Right, they they drop so many references. We missed a gamesters of Triskelion reference, but oh yeah, right. But that's in there, and it, that takes one person, one line to say, "Oh yeah, that would be funny," and then you put it in. You know, yep. it, it's this isn't hard. This yeah, is, I, I hope they realize this is not that hard to do. Uh, if, like you said, get people who are passionate. Um, well, and and there are signs that I think, um, you know, maybe the dramatic series are, are moving a little bit more in the right direction. I've I've watched all of the newer. Uh, episodes of of discovery and i actually really liked one of the last ones that came out so i mean it's i think i think there's potential there but it's like if you're looking for the model to emulate even if it comes to a dramatic series it's it's this it's it's lower decks you know because there's drama in here too and the the drama stuff all hits um and that's i think what will will impress me about this show for a long time and why i'm really excited for a season two is that like I came in looking for like a goofy take on tar- on Star Trek and and I got that. But what I was not expecting was to like all of the characters as much as I liked and to have the conclusion of this goofy season of a of a Star Trek, you know, spoof show uh have me care about the security officer who heroically sacrificed himself to save another member of the crew and then have that crew member be, you know, medically in big trouble because he's, you know, he had cybernetic implants ripped out of his head. You know, like there's there's deep, meaningful stuff happening there in between, you know, jokes about packleds, and yep, yep. and I'm here for it. You know? Well, and also um, to to have the packleds back, I, I think one of the big things that I'm curious about in another that a next season of this would be the conversation that that Freeman and Mariner have at the very end, um, which we've not talked about, mm-hmm. um, in which Mariner or Freeman uh, Freeman is expressing this concern about Starfleet, which again goes back to TOS. That, you know, you go to a planet and there's, um, you know, whatever there. And it's a crazy, powerful alien. And then they just sort of put a Band-Aid on it and fly away. Yeah. And say, yeah, cool. It's fine now. Um, and 
there's tons of those out there, right? There are tons of those to draw from um, throughout this universe, throughout this canon. And they're sort of setting up this, this frustration of like, Starfleet sort of thinks everything's good, but, and they don't allow us to pop in or check, but um, Mariner has the right idea that sometimes we do need to go down and like um, save the lizard people from what the, uh, the other group that was eating them or, or go <laughs> yeah, tell right. these people to stop worshiping Langer um, yeah. or go. Uh, uh, what was the, um, Oh, there was another one. Uh, in any case, she's constantly doing these things. And if the Federation had been doing these things throughout, um, you know, a hundred years or so, then the Packlets wouldn't have gotten to this point. Right. Or, yeah. And Landry wouldn't have gotten control over the, his planet again. So I think that's an interesting place that they can start to mine to say, you know, the, make a list of all the, the creatures out there that are still out there that those old scientists didn't solve. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh-huh. um, you know, that's that's a that's a good place to mine some stories. So. Well, it reminds me of, um, do you remember, basically, this this whole thing feels like something that was foreshadowed in season six of TNG. Do you remember the episode, The Chase, where Captain yes. Picard's uh, professor, yes. Professor Galen, yep. um, comes aboard the ship and he tries to get, he tries to get Jean-Luc Picard to basically leave his life in Starfleet and go on this mission to, of unparalleled discovery to return to his archaeology roots. Um and there's a line that Galen says to Picard, which I think was really smart for them to include there because these threads have been in Star Trek ever since, because in the time of TNG, uh, the Federation is huge. Um, and, and the comparison, I think, is apt, where Galen says to Picard, you're like a centurion patrolling the border of a dull and bloated empire. Yeah, um, yeah. And... and He's he's saying that in jest because he wants Picard to to come with him and he's he's being a little bit petty about it, but I think the observation is apt and it, it fits here too, right? The idea that that is the Federation. There's just so much turf for them to cover and so much bureaucracy and so much you know all of this maintaining literally you know do- hundreds of planets really um, that that stuff is going to slip through the cracks and what slips through the cracks is sometimes dangerous. Sometimes it's a murderous, you know, AI <laughs> called Landrew that gets people to purge each other. And sometimes it's a dangerous race of not that smart aliens who are willing to better themselves by any means necessary and, and sometimes blow up a bunch of your ships. And yeah, you're right. I think, I think that's, that's a thread they can continue to, to, to pull on and, and just you know, see what happens. Not sure how much we have left, but uh, fun trivia on this one I just saw. Jonathan Frakes is the only Star Trek regular cast member to appear on six different Star Trek television series. Um, <laughs> and five let of me, those let, as let me the call, same. Let me, okay, yeah, let me, yeah. Let me call this out. So obviously it's TNG. Yep. Um, he was on Deep Space Nine as um, his transporter duplicate. Yep. yep. Uh, he was in the finale of Enterprise for sure. Um, so then that would put us at lower decks. And you said there's how many series he appeared in? Six. Six. So he was in Picard as well, and that's five. Um, God, what would the sixth one be? Uh, oh, he was in Voyager. Oh, yeah, he appeared. Uh, oh, yeah, Hugh yeah, yeah. summoned yeah, yeah, yeah. him. Hugh summoned him in Voyager to be a witness. 
um, when right. the when the other Q wanted to kill himself. Yep. Yeah. So that's six. Wow. And um, yeah. And five of those as uh, the same character. It's uh, the other trivia yep. here is that Jonathan Frakes and Martina Sirtis, uh, Marina Sirtis, uh, are the first Star Trek actors to portray the same character on five different series. Yep. So yeah. she's also in five too, which. Yeah, she would have been. She was um, on Voyager a lot at the end. Yeah, because um, she, uh, she, her Barclay. and Reginald Barkley, yep. both. Yeah. Um, and she was in the same, because I just watched the finale of Enterprise not that long ago. Man, that's a really bad finale, too. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, wow, that's that's pretty incredible. Yeah. yeah. So if he had been uh, actual Will Riker in DS9, he would have had a slightly better record, but still quite a record yeah. to be in six different series. Yeah, Michael Dorn's a little jealous. I can tell. <laughs> oh God, I would love to get Michael Dorn. Uh, oh, oh, come on! If they have a, a second season, we're getting Michael Dorn, right? Yeah, we got to get some Levar Burton. Yep, yep, got to, got to. Uh, well, I think that's going to put a, a pin in this episode, the entire season of Lower Decks, and uh, our side trek. I think next uh, we need to set a course for season three of TNG, right, Paul? Slightly better than season two. <laughs> well i would say much more than slightly better but yeah that's uh, fair but we'll it, get there I, I think it starts off a little rocky but you know yeah dr well, crusher is back and that is a wonderful wonderful thing <laughs> it's an immediate improvement yes um if you want to find us uh we are hi-fi sci-fi podcast pretty much everywhere so hi-fi sci-fi podcast all one word.com uh that'll get you links to all of these episodes including um our backlog so if you're newer to uh to the show uh, before we started doing this this lower decks uh, sidetrack, we had started many years ago. So, uh, in fact, uh, season two we finished recapping in 2018, in early 2018. So we're finally getting back to it. Um, so listen back to the archives there. Yeah, go back and find all those episodes that they could mine for content here. Right, all those <laughs> all those alien races that they just let sit there, and uh, the Edo, for instance. Uh, we bring that up or, a lot but or um you know code of honor you know they can create people without a soul <laughs> oh boy <laughs> oh boy so, and uh if you want to go back to any tos episodes my other uh podcasts other star trek podcast uh 3d beam up my co-hosts abby and chelsea um chelsea who also did the, the theme for for this podcast tons of those episodes are left with the crew just leaving a planet with a gamester of Triskelion or a lava monster or, <laughs> you know, a, a quasi Q. Um, there's lots of those that just get left around. So and they just warp a Landrew. That's right. That's right. So uh, find us all those places. We'll be back uh, here next week with uh, with uh, season three, the first episode, which is um, which is that one? That one? That's um, evolution. Ensigns? No, it's uh, yeah, evolutions. Uh, evolution. That's right. With Doctor Paul Stubbs. Is that the? That sounds right. Is that his name? I think yeah. The the egg is ready isn't to that hatch. A, isn't, that a, isn't that a barbecue joint? <laughs> okay we're, we're getting way too far off topic it's time to call it we'll be back next time uh until then i'm bernsey and i'm paul we'll see you out there yeah it's stubbs barbecue austin it's a very well-known barbecue <laughs> restaurant glad we have that settled thank you <laughs>